0: Welcome to or welcome back to the Journey Through Life podcast. I'm Justin Barton and the host of this show. And I'm really grateful to have you as a listener today. Now, as you listen today or to any of our other episodes, past, present, or future, and if you have the name or image of a friend or family member pop into your mind, please act on that and share that episode with them. Acting on that thought can and will bring blessings and joy to you and that person that comes to mind. I'm really excited to continue this very special to me 12-week series of the Journey Through Life podcast. This series is called Journey in Recovery, and I've interviewed many different people from many different locations and backgrounds on each of the 12 steps of recovery as laid out originally in the book Alcoholics Anonymous. Now please, before you shut this off and say, this doesn't apply to me, I'm asking you to please give it a shot for the next several weeks. Whether you or I are an actual addict or not, I know that we all have weaknesses in our lives. Some of those may be something that no one knows of but ourselves. But we really wish we could move past them. But try as we will, we have not been able to leave them behind. Now, I have experienced that learning of and applying the 12 steps of recovery can be beneficial to any human being who goes into it with real intent and applies the principles of these steps into their lives, and I know that they will be able to move through any addiction, any habit, any self-destructive behavior, or unwanted behavior. This can include full-blown drug and alcohol addiction, including prescription medications, or something as dire as cutting or eating disorders, or maybe even something as seemingly insignificant, but just as gripping and distracting as smartphones and video games. Today, we will be hearing the experience, strength, and hope of Jennifer in her relating of Step 5 in the Steps of Recovery. If this is your first episode of this series, or for this podcast as a whole, I highly recommend that you go back and listen to all six of the previous episodes in this Journey in Recovery series at some point. There are 12 steps, and they are in a prescribed order for a reason. So whether you do that now, or after you listen to this episode, you really need to listen to the others and then continue with steps 6 through 12 after that over the next several weeks. Now, step 5 reads, admitted to God, to ourselves, and to another human being the exact nature of our wrongs. So many people get hung up here as we really don't want to admit, even to ourselves, some of the things that we've done wrong in our lives, let alone to another human being. But it really is vital and when our secrets are brought into words, they lose nearly all power over us. I can testify of that. Now, in this and other conversations, you may be introduced to concepts that you have never before considered, or may even seem contradictory to what you have considered truth for perhaps your whole life. But these concepts are shared as honestly and openly as possible, using real experiences that cannot be denied as being true to the, these people who are sharing them. While you listen, take mental or physical notes of ideas of self-improvement that pop into your head. Then, at the end of this podcast, review those notes and make a plan as to how you can implement them. Now, kick back or hit the road, work out, do your house or yard work, or whatever you do while listening to podcasts and be ready to learn and feel and gain insights like you may have never considered before. Here we go with Jennifer. So tell me, Jennifer, introduce yourself. Introduce yourself as if you were introducing yourself in a 12-step meeting. And then um, we'll go from there.
1: All right. Hi, my name is Jennifer. I'm a grateful recovering alcoholic addict. My sobriety day is March twenty fifth, 2019. So actually makes me uh, sober 260 days today.
0: Awesome. I'm happy for you. One day at a time, right?
1: Yep, one day at a time. I've got my little tracker on my phone.
0: Awesome. So Jennifer, tell me a little bit about your experience in life that led you to the addictive practices that you um, have done in the past.
1: Yeah, you know, I'm still trying to uncover what led me to, um, you know, get to my addictive history and habits. And I know sometimes, you know, people are born with that genetically, and sometimes it comes through, you know, habits. I think mine was probably both because I have alcoholism um, and addiction on both sides of my family. You know, I started drinking at age 14, and it was Mm -hmm. when my parents were getting divorced. So I do think, you know, it was a coping mechanism there was also some molestation as a child. Mm. So I don't know if it, some of the trauma and things, I guess wanting to escape the first time I got drunk, it was the best thing that ever happened to me. It was so much fun. And I got to escape and, um, you know, and then it progressed into, you know, ecstasy and then marijuana and cocaine and diet pills and pain pills and psychedelics, meth, I've done it all. Um, And I think that, you know, I was always just trying to escape my mind. um, You know, I was always running. You know, filled with worry and doubt and fear, and I became really good at it. That I was so you so called successful, right? Where you have a good job, relationships, giving back in the community. So I was a very highly functioning addict.
0: Hmm. So as you look back at at that, I mean, you kind of relayed. It seems that the time period seems to coincide somewhat with a divorce in the family,
1: yeah, and I guess starting to hang out with you know after I left elementary school, I went to junior high, different groups of people, you know, new things are being introduced. My parents were kind of they love me, and they did the best they could, but they were in their own worlds at that time, hmm. so it's like I didn't really have maybe the oversight that is probably should be required at that time to keep your kids in check, so yeah, it was um I was dealing with things, so it was a coping mechanism.
0: Hmm. Well good. So as you look back at that, what are some were there any other coping mechanisms that you use that maybe wouldn't necessarily fall under alcohol or drugs or anything like that?
1: Yeah, you know it's interesting. I remember I used to sit in the mirror and pick at my face. It's really weird, but mm. it just like and actually that was a habit I had up until last year. I don't think I've really ever told anyone that, but that was like a part of an addictive thing. And I remember doing it as a child um, and just sitting in my parents' bathroom all the time. And I remember I was always in my head and I um, you know, and I didn't have control of my thoughts. I was wandering. And so, yeah, that was part of it. You know, now I'm struggling with sugar, you know, mm-hmm. I'm definitely sober and I'm very pretty clean eater. But about one day a week, I have a binge sugar day. You know, and I'm working on that. So I think there's still some of the, some of it there. But, you know, at least now I'm conscious and it's not, you know, I'm still a work in progress.
0: <laughs> right. Well, my sponsor once told me, uh, I've got to work at this one day at a time every day for the rest of my life until I'm safely dead. And uh, I found that quite powerful um, phrase. And, you know, it's one that for some people might bring some hopelessness, like... <laughs> Am I ever going to be able to be free of this? But for me, it's like, hey, I can do this one day at a time with, with God. You know, yeah. with, with God, I can do anything one day at a time. Tell me a little bit about when you first recognized, when you first had these thoughts of maybe I'm getting a little bit out of control with my addictive behaviors.
1: Yeah. Well, I was um, in my first marriage. <laughs> um, actually, I, we were parting really hard, you know, had successful jobs, but drinking cocaine on the weekends. And, you know, I knew it was a little too much and I um, kind of had expressed it and he wasn't kind of on the same path. I wanted to slow down and he really still wanted to go out. So I knew then because I was so hungover, I would be hungover in bed Sunday go to work Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, feeling horrible. And then Thursday, I'm finally like feeling back to myself and then start again Friday. Yeah. So it was like a horrible cycle. Um, and, but I was still kind of doing it. You know, I wasn't ready to quit at all. And then after I, mm-hmm. uh, during my divorce, I was 25 and um, I started going out and partying without my husband. And, you know, he used to take care of me. I would like be blacked out or whatever, but he's like, you know, he's got my back. So actually one night after when the bar was closing, I was leaving a bar. I was actually by myself and I fell off the end of an escalator. Um, it was like about five or six feet up. And I remember just falling hard and like hit my head in concussion. And luckily there was this like angel guy who drove me home, you know, mm. I don't even know. I became conscious in like a jack in the box drive through I guess I was like, I want tacos. And uh-huh. he got me home safely. You know, something bad could have really happened. And then I was like, I need to cut back. And that's when I, I really, I cut back for about, maybe nine months, I didn't drink, but I was smoking weed every day. But that was my thing. Like, okay, well, I can smoke weed and I don't make bad decisions. I don't black out. So, you know, life is good like that, Mm. you know, and that was how I tried to fix it.
0: You said you cut back for nine months, you're smoking weed, you stopped drinking at that time. What changes were you hoping would come into your life that maybe didn't come into your life that you were hoping to see happen?
1: I mean, I didn't really think so. I mean, I liked partying. I liked, you know, altering my consciousness. It was how I lived for so many years. So I really was just um, not wanting to make any stupid decisions or get hurt. You know, I realized that I just didn't make good things weren't happening when I was getting out and drinking and and being hungover. So I thought it would be kind of cool to be like, I don't eat alcohol. I just smoke weed.
0: Okay. Okay. And then you said for about nine months, you stopped, you, you slowed down. What happened at the end of that nine month period?
1: Um, you know, I started having a couple of drinks here and there and then ultimately drank, I was working for a, a media company in Phoenix and the guy I was working for knew me at the time where I fell and hit my head and I had stopped drinking and he had an ex wife that was an alcoholic and he hired me and he said, I'm hiring you because like, you're not drinking. And mm. like, and I ended up, um, we had a big event, a big charity event that I helped him produce in Scottsdale. And I ended up, um, getting drunk after it was over that night, was hung over the next morning. And he, you know, he knew, I mean, and, but I, that wasn't the problem. The problem was there was uh, media that we needed to finish off the next day to get out to outlets. And it wasn't perfect. I did what he asked, but then he wanted more. And I was like, I'm done. I'm going to sleep. And mm-hmm. so he came in the next day on Monday and fired me. Mm. Uh, even though I was already on my way out a few weeks later, we'd already talked about it, but it was just like, he, he cut me. Um, and so that was like, all right. that And that's not when I stopped drinking.
0: <laughs> right. Right. Did that start a whole new, uh, cycle of drinking then?
1: You know, it was an interesting time in my life because I really had had a calling. I wanted to travel and serve the world. And so I got an opportunity to do that. And so um, I went to work for an international um, nonprofit where I was traveling all around the world and training volunteers and serving patients with hearing health care. And I realized I could not um, be hung over and do my job. So I went back to the whole, then I really cut back. Drinking really didn't become a problem again for me. I'd say out of the next five years, there was only maybe Five blackout nights that I regretted, which is still, you know, maybe five to 10. I don't know, but it wasn't something that was like all the time. It was back to smoking weed. Um, and then I was taking prescription diet pills for energy on mm. the road. Yeah. So it didn't really stop me then.
0: So where would you say your rock bottom was?
1: My rock bottom was in 2012. Um, I had been traveling and serving the world, and um, I got super depressed. Uh, that summer where um, I just had a lot of anxiety I had no motivation uh, to work I was lonely and I could not I want I tried to start moderating smoking weed at that time alcohol wasn't really a problem anymore I'd have a couple drinks and then I'd get high you know I was more about smoking weed Hmm. and I and I really wanted to cut back and I really like realized I couldn't you know, I would wake up on a Saturday, I'd be traveling the world, get back on a Saturday, I have a whole day. And all I want to do is smoke weed. And I'm thinking, okay, I'll go work out. Like, like, let me occupy myself. And then I can smoke weed at maybe two o'clock or three o'clock. Cause I know once I smoke, then I'm going to have a great hour. And then I'm probably going to overeat and be tired. And the rest of the day and my day's shot, and I'll just be smoking weed and eating for the rest of the day. So, um, that was my rock bottom. And I just actually started like where I just burn out. I realized I was burnout. I I tried to go in the office. I couldn't even do like simple emails, things that were always easy for me. I just Mm. dreaded, And so I actually just quit my job all of a sudden. I was so depressed one Saturday. I'm like, I'm going to quit my job. (laughs) Mm. And looking back, I wish I would have gone and talked to the owners because they probably would have paid for my rehab. But I was just like, I'm done with this place, I'm out. I'm gonna do it myself. I've always done things myself. I'm, you know, a strong woman, I can do this. And that's when I quit my job and then I started, um, I went in um, to the doctor and I quit smoking weed. I said, I'm done smoking weed, I'm not gonna drink. I went and got on some antidepressant medication from my doctor and uh, for the next six months, I really tried to moderate myself.
0: And how did that work? (laughs) We're talking, I mean, that's 2012 and you said your sobriety date's 2019. So we got seven years in there, right? So how did that self-moderation and self-knowledge work out for you?
1: Yeah, not so well. Um, <laughs> well, you know, at yeah, so I would get like a month of not smoking and then I'd be like, you know what, I'm really proud of myself. I'm going to let myself smoke weed one day a week. And I actually picked Sundays, <laughs> which is kind of funny. And I was going well for a while. And then I went home to Arizona went out and had some uh, drinks with friends. And I was like, I'm on a two drink limit. Well, I threw that out the window. ended up doing cocaine that night, smoking weed, um, woke up really hungover. And I had promised to take my grandma to church the next morning. And uh, I was like, oh, I do not want to go. But I, you know, I didn't want to let her down. Mm -hmm. So I was smoking weed on the way of picking her up. (laughs) And we get in the church and I get handed the program and it says addiction must fall. And at that point, you know, I'd always believed in God, but I was like, wow, God's talking to me, Mm. you know, um, I'm like thinking like, maybe I need to get some help because I obviously can't do this alone. And so that was a wake up call for me.
0: And that was, was that still in 2012 or was that? I'm
1: sorry. My, I didn't mean 2012. My low point was 2016.
0: Oh, 16. Okay. 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 So that was in about 2016 where this is all happening here.
1: Yeah. So that was 2016. Yeah. And then um, I was working with a life coach at that time and I said, I need, I need some help. I'm not sure what to do. And she's like, have you tried asking God for help? And I said, no, (laughs) I just thought about everything else but that. And so I remember I got down on my knees and I asked God, I, I actually still have my journal from that night and I said, God, can you please help me change my story before something bad happens to me or, you know, to someone else, God forbid. And um, then I just, within a few weeks, I got some guidance and I started researching for help in my area. And I actually, I found Marijuana Anonymous. So my first day, I think, was January 2nd, 2017, when I walked through the, the doors, at my first 12-step meeting.
0: All right. So before you move on from here, what were your thoughts before you walked in the door? Was that a scary experience for you? Was it something that you were really worried about doing?
1: Yeah. I mean, I definitely never had been, um, but I emailed with this lady. Her name was Wendy online. And like, so I had talked to her in advance. So, you know, I was like, at least feel comforted. I was going to meet this lady, but it was super weird, but I'm lucky. It was seriously like five people. It was the smallest meeting I've probably ever been to. Okay. I was living in Syracuse, New York at the time, you know, actually it was then she encouraged me to go to AA meetings because I come to find out, I was like, I could stop smoking weed, but if I have a couple of drinks, it's all the same. So you know, if I needed full sobriety and she just encouraged me that AA, AA had a bit, bigger network, you know, the marijuana anonymous. And I've, once I realized it's all really the same, you can really go into any 12 step meeting and plug in whatever your you right. know, have it hang up or hurt is and it works. So, um, yeah, I think going into my AA meetings, I was super fearful. And I remember even like my fifth meeting, I just almost walked out. I was like, I don't like these people. I'm not an alcoholic like them. I'm not, this is not my thing. I'm not coming back. (laughs) Um, but I think that ultimately my, yeah, I asked that lady to be my sponsor, that first lady, Wendy. And, uh, she said she wanted me to go to a meeting every day for a week. I was like, no, I don't want to do that. And so I didn't the first week I was like, I went to one meeting, you know, like I'm not, I didn't even have a job at this time. Right. So I obviously had the time. I had no excuse. I don't want to go. And finally, she said, like, if you want a different lifestyle, you have to be willing to do things, you know, do life differently and take the instruction of people that have done it. You know, it works if you work it right. So I was like, fine. I didn't want to do this, but I decided I was going to go to a meeting every day for a week. And by like the third day, I actually started to enjoy it. And I was like, okay. And I realized that th- this was something good for me. And so I'm just super glad that you know, I pushed through even though, like, I didn't want to go at the beginning. I didn't want to get involved, but it's like, you know, it's worked for so many people. And everyone's story is different. I'm not going to be an alcoholic or addict like you are, or, you mm-hmm. know, whoever's listening, everyone's got their own story. But the fact is, the formula works.
0: I, I agree with you 100%. The formula works, it's there. The recipe has been proven. And uh, when we talked and when I connected with you, you got back to me and said, Hey, I'd like to talk about step five. Now tell me what step five is first.
1: Mm-hmm.
0: And then tell me why step five is the one that you wanted to, to, to talk about.
1: Sure. Definitely would love to. So step five is we admitted to God, to ourselves and to another human being, the exact nature of our wrongs. Mm hmm. And so this is followed by step four, which is really like a written inventory of of your wrongs, right? I picked step five because step five was really relieving for me. It was really like a big um, getting over the hill for me. I actually took, um, really lagged on step four. I probably lagged about four months. I just did not want to do that inventory. I was fearful of it. Um, And then finally, after I did it, really confessing it, um it showed me the insanity of you know what i was doing i think that's one of the beautiful things they call step 5 kind of the confession step right so you're confessing to yourself to god and another human being and um my sponsor this was- i was on my third sponsor by this time cuz okay. i did all the things wrong in new in sobriety don't leave a relationship don't like change a job don't leave the city i did all those so I am in Austin, Texas. Now my second (laughs) sponsor relapsed, So third sponsor and um, you know, I went to her house and um, we did it and it was about a two hour thing where I went through all the, the people, places, ideas and institutions that I was resentful at Mm -hmm. and you know, what action was taken that made me angry or hurtful. And then, you know, what it affected. Was it my self-esteem Pride, emotional security, pocketbook ambitions, and um, or sex relations, and then the fourth part was where was I to blame in all this, right? Mm -hmm. And like, was I dishonest? Was I selfish? Was I self-seeking? Was I frightened or inconsiderate?
0: Let's stop there and dig for just a second. Think about one of the the line items there in your negative emotions tab and your resentments tab where you are absolutely sure that your part in that was, if anything, was like one-tenth of one percent. How did you go about doing that and saying, okay, this is my part in it? How did you come to the point where you could say, all right, here's my part of that issue?
1: Well, I want to go back to that example of my friend that I worked for that fired me Because I never thought I did anything wrong until I actually Mm. went through the step. I I was like, he's a jerk. I probably said some other words. (laughs) He fired me, you know, I had already resigned, but I was finishing out this job and then he just came in and fired me. And that was so, that was so hurtful. He's such a this, you know, and I had to actually look back and go, okay, He, he hired me and because I wasn't drinking, that was a big thing for him. And I, was representing him and I didn't follow through and so yeah I was really to blame for that that was just part of the consequence of um, my actions and so I just it wasn't out of I was inconsiderate and I could say selfish in these things you know but it was part of my addiction too but it was just wrong and so at the end of the day I'm like Geez, that's his company, and he didn't like deliver the most quality product to his biggest client because I was hungover. Hmm.
0: Yeah, and that's and that's a that's a good example, I think. So let's go back to step five. You know, you talked about your negative emotions tab. There, tell me a little bit about your experiences. You went through those different areas.
1: You know, it's funny because I did another type of step five in a different program this past year. Okay. And instead of writing out the resentments, I had to write out every single time I can remember drinking or using a drug and what happened from that.
0: Mm, interesting.
1: <laughs> yeah. And it, it's like 50 pages long. Um, and like who I heard, what happened. And that was really, really telling even more than when this, because I think that, I let go of a lot of, I didn't think I, at this point, I had too much anger in my heart. I mean, people go through different things, right? Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. I didn't have as much anger, I guess. But through both of these exercises, I realized that I was selfish and a self-centered person. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. That, that was the biggest thing. I, wow, I'm like, wow, I'm a very selfish person. So that sucked
0: yeah and 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 that's where we go to step six where we recognize our our character weaknesses <laughs> and defaults right
1: yeah and I wasn't honest and yeah, yeah. And like that so i I was selfish yeah
0: so tell me as you did your step five you know you're you're admitting to yourself to God and to another human being the exact nature of your wrongs tell me how I mean, was there a burden that you were carrying as you went through your step four inventory that you're like, man, I'm the worst human being on earth? And, and did it change as you finished your step five or was there any transition at that point?
1: It felt very relieving after step five. I felt like the hardest part was done. That's why I like to pick step five because it was like, oh, it's relieving, right? You know, you're basically just admitting your your wrongs, right? and becoming a clean conscious, you know? So I felt like after that, things really progressed fast, but I really took a long time to get through step four and five.
0: Mm. This step is really fresh on my mind right now because just, well, just last night I had one of my sponsees do his step five. It was about a four hour uh, deal. And, and as I was, you know, just checking in with him and giving feedback every once in a while and asking questions, as he was moving along, he'd be like, man, I just feel like I'm a monster. Like I'm the worst human being on the face of the earth. Mm -hmm. And then as we finished up and he had, what, what I do is I have him have a step five prayer where, you know, we open it with a prayer and close it with a prayer. And in that step five prayer, he's like, it's, it's all yours, God. I'm giving it to you. And afterwards he's like, man, that load is gone. I'm not a monster. It's not me anymore. Mm-hmm. That I don't have to carry any of that stuff, and and I I love that concept of giving it over, giving all that crap that that's in my life over to God, and just saying, "Hey, I know you can carry this. I know you've already taken care of it. So yeah, here saying. it is. I'm not gonna I'm not gonna carry this anymore."
1: Yeah, and also, you know, one of the things I learned through the program too is just that I incorporate is living that step five. Like when I realize that I've you know, done something wrong or have a resentment at somebody, then I will talk to him about it um, and get it off my chest or I know it'll build into something more. Or if, for example, if I feeling jealousy t- toward a friend about something like I, you know, when they're a close friend, I'll just tell them like, Hey, look, like <laughs> I'm feeling a little jealous about this. I don't know why it's super stupid, but um, because it just gives you that clean heart. I think, bringing things to light just kind of like diffuses them, you know? Yeah.
0: So give me, give me an example, maybe of a time when a resentment, that a little thing that you dwelt on for a long time became big enough to where you felt, okay, I have to go use because this, well, maybe you don't think it through that way. I have to go use, but that resentment leads to you using Mm -hmm. in the end, even though it was really small in the beginning
1: yeah well i mean i think it was um it wasn't really like that because i was using um no matter what whether I was having, it was a continually thing throughout the day like for like the last five years it was like okay i'd wake up i would get high then i would go do this and then i'd be planning my next high then i would go do this and i would have a drink then i'd have a half of a vicodin then i'd go do this and i have a smoke like mm-hmm. it was just like perfectly timed out where i could have the alteration of my consciousness and also work and do what I got to do, you know? Um, But yeah, I mean, there, so there wasn't really about a buildup. It was always smoking or taking something. Mm.
0: So you're always numbing and not really recognizing those resentments um, at the time, even though they were there and were building because all you're doing is numbing it, right?
1: Yeah. So, I mean, I don't think I was using it. It was, I think I was more numbing it because of the deep seated issues from childhood. Because if I were like as an adult, something would bother me. I would go end up and having a conversation with someone. I felt like, you know, the life that I was living, you know, I'd done personal development work. I I would talk about issues if things happen. I think, yeah, it was the unhealed trauma from the past
2: Hmm.
1: and my emotions. And I never learned how to deal with my emotions. And I never learned how to um, take control of my mind. It was running me.
0: Now, you mentioned earlier that, I think it was a therapist, I can't remember who you said, but said, hey, have you ever prayed and asked God to take this Mm -hmm. from you and help you with this? And you're like, "Uh, no. Yeah. Um, Tell me about your your concept of God beforehand and your concept of God now.
1: Yeah, that's a great question. Um, You know, I grew up Catholic. Um, I always believed in God. I I left Catholicism at 18 because I had all the rules and the legalities and I just kind of went on a spiritual journey. So I was into a lot of new age stuff and I always felt connected to God but I didn't really know what that meant and you know so when I went through uh, AA and they say you know a god of your understanding that was easy for me because I was just like I believe that God's a higher power and then I was sober about two months and I'd end up this conference in Texas with 12 other women and myself. And all these women were like, you know, successful and happy and I'm sober, but I'm seriously unhappy. Mm. (laughs) I'm like struggling and um, I'm like, what's wrong with these women? Like they're not high on drugs. And I come to find out like they were high on the Holy Spirit and these were women of God and they believed in Jesus. And, you know, I always had thought people that believed in Jesus were naive. Okay. And uh, so I just started kind of like questioning things and um, started getting kind of mentored. And one of the women encouraged me, you know, to just to seek. And the Bible says, you know, ask and you shall receive, seek and you shall find, knock on the door, will be opened. And so mm-hmm. I started dialogue with, I'm like, all right, Jesus, if you're real, like, please reveal yourself to me, you know, and I opened my heart and mind and um, series of events happened. and. Um, the first time I was headed to Ireland on a flight and I, I'm going to meet one of these ladies and at the, the bookstore, I saw a book that says Bible verses for women. And I was like, I'm going to buy this for her as a gift. And maybe I'll look at it. Cause I'm kind of exploring. Right. And so I'm getting off the plane in Ireland. We're get, you know, we're getting off and there's this couple next to me and this woman reaches above for her bag and she looks at, at her husband and she says, is this your bag or is it this little child's bag? And I was like, what? And she was like, yeah. She's like, you look like a little child. And I was like, well, thanks. But I mean, I'm 33 at the time. Uh-huh. And um, then she goes, yeah, you look like a little child. And I was a little jet lagged and I was tired, but I was really offended. I honestly like, usually I don't let things get to me. But mm-hmm. I was like major resentful for two hours. I'm like, how rude. And I get to my hotel and I sit down on my bed and um, unpacking and I see the book. So I just decided to open it to a random page and it says, Jesus asked you to come to him like a little child. Mm. <laughs> and that's our, well, the first time I was like, all right, Jesus is really speaking to me now. And yeah, many just series of events happened and that really started my journey and my personal relationship with Christ. And within a year, you know, I had decided to accept Jesus into my heart and make him Lord and savior. And, um, that's when my real healing began. So I just thank AA so much. It's such a great program for, you know, if it would have been about Jesus then I wouldn't have found my way to Jesus, you know? So it was such a great, it's such a pivotal part of my story. Um, I'm just super grateful for AA and it was really built off, you know, right. The Oxford group, a lot of it came from Christianity. And I think that's a reason why some of this works. It's surrender, it's confession, um, the only problem with it, I, I personally feel if people just stick with it. They're missing the eternal salvation. They're missing the main point of, you know, Christianity, why Jesus came. So yes, it'll, it'll, you can stay sober. But I mean, is that the point? I, I think that we're called to go further. We're, we're mm-hmm. called to heal. And the only person I believe that will heal is Jesus. And also, you know, I want everyone to have eternal salvation too. So um, I'm super grateful for it, but I think that it, it should be a pathway and not the end all.
0: Yeah. I love, so step 12 for me is, is a huge one. That's, that's where I do that, uh, evangelizing that, that, okay. that preaching about it. You yeah. know, I, it, it, one of the people in the Bible and I'll ask you about maybe a Bible hero of yours, but one of the people that I most relate to in the Bible is Peter. Mm-hmm. You know Peter was so enthusiastic. He was the first one out of the boat when Christ said, "Hey, come follow me." "Yeah, yeah I'm I'm on there." And he was so enthusiastic, but every time in Christ's mortal ministry, he was this enthusiastic he ended up falling on his face. You know, "Hey, come out and walk on the water." "All right, here I go." Mm-hmm. "Oh, I'm sinking. You know, help me." Um at the Last Supper, hey, don't wash my feet, Jesus. Well, if I don't wash your feet, you don't have anything with me. Okay, wash my whole body, you know, wash everything. And he's just all excited. And then Jesus says, hey, you're going to deny me three times. He's like, no, I'm not. And he does. He denies him three times. And then even after the resurrection, Peter's out fishing. And mm-hmm. Jesus is like, come on, man. Are you back doing this again? You got to do something more. And he says, "Feed my sheep. feed my lambs, feed my sheep, feed my sheep. When thou art converted, strengthen thy brethren. So Peter's been following Jesus for three or four years at this point, and he's still not converted. Mm
2: -hmm.
0: When you're converted, go and strengthen others. And to me, that conversion is what you're talking about here. You came and you found Jesus as that person. For me, same thing. I found out who Jesus was, who and how he fits into everything. Well, how everything fits into him, actually. But
2: yeah,
0: and then how for me these twelve steps really encompass His atoning sacrifice and the whole picture there, all in these twelve steps. Yeah. And my conversion is that for an addict, for anybody with weakness, whether it's a you know an out an outward addiction that everybody can see, or whether it's a just a foible that that I can't take care of because I'm powerless over it, whatever it may be, yeah. that there's hope. And being able to do that,
2: mm-hmm.
0: and I've become converted to it, and now I'm out trying to strengthen my brethren.
2: Yes,
0: and that's how I relate to Peter, and that's how I bring that into the program. So, so tell me a little bit about maybe something from the scriptures that uh, really speaks to you from your experience, maybe in addiction or maybe in life, until and in, in, overall.
1: Hmm. Well, I guess what I want to say for you asking that is I truly believe the word of God transforms the mind, you know, in Romans 12, it says, do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. So you'll come to know the good and pleasing, perfect will of God. And when I got out of sobriety, my mind was still worry, doubt, confusion. I need to be doing this like never satisfied. And so what I've learned is by studying the Bible, that, that the word actually transforms the mind. And like, um, there's neuroscientists now that are actually like proving like our minds like a tree of life. And when you're smoking weed and doing drugs, it's like your mind's all over the place. And you're building new neural pathways, actually. But so that's the, the one thing I want to say overall is been the most important part of my healing to getting my mind right Mm -hmm. is reading the word, is pronouncing scriptures, when I'm walking my dog, I'm saying, you know, I am strong. I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. You know, Mm -hmm. I am righteous. I am the righteousness of God in Jesus Christ. I'm just saying scripture, you know? Mm -hmm. And so that's an overall thing. Um, And I just want to tell people, if you don't believe in Jesus, that's totally fine. But like, Mm -hmm. I've done it all. I've done DMT. I've done all the psychedelics. I did everything to try to find God. And I still felt like, I was connecting to God when I was doing drugs, but now I realize when you really get a relationship with Christ, like that's the real drug. When when Jesus starts talking to you, you know, and you, and he gives you revelation of the word through his spirit, that's more powerful than anything that I, that I could do. So I learned so much through the Bible through, I love, you know, the parts, you know, God's teaching me a lot now. He's still working, taking things out of my heart um, that are, impure in my heart dealing with when it says like love your enemies right i'm working in hollywood at a church where i have homeless people that are addicts they're still using and mm-hmm. it's very challenging for me right now because i kind of want to be like why am i even here i'm just going to go to a church where there's people i want to hang out with but i know god's growing me here and he's challenging me when i want to be like oh that person and then instead i'm praying for that person mm-hmm. You know, so it's like challenging us and and teaching us to be more like Christ, to be more loving, Hmm. you know, really not living for myself. And you asked me earlier about what's another thing of addiction that I see myself. Well, it's every day I have to try not to control because that was my biggest thing, I think, is trying to control situations. And I'm in charge and this and that. And I'm doing it. And now I'm learning to rest in the spirit and that God opens things and i follow i can be directed by him and the stress is gone i used to be addicted to fight or flight mode
0: yeah. everything
1: was like okay we gotta do it we gotta do it and mm-hmm. i'm barely living in that now because i've just you know that's why i was always changing my consciousness your heart rates going up all the time there's fear i've deadlines, deadlines, deadlines. Mm-hmm. and so now i'm actually peace of mind is the biggest thing that i've gotten from sobriety um, and then the Bible also gives you that joy, the joy of the Lord, the joy, regardless of the circumstances, I could have just lost my job and I could still be like, you know what, but I have joy. You know, you feel that joy in Christ. So that's just kind of the Bible as a whole. I know I didn't answer your question. <laughs> <laughs> um, and I can, if you still want me to <laughs> have at it. Um, I think that one of the, the stories or the people that I like is the the Queen Esther in the Bible. Mm you know, is that she was a queen. Um, she was Jewish, didn't know, and she got the opportunity to help save her people that she had to come out to her husband, the king, and tell him about it. And she could have got killed. Right. But um, she was in, you know, God put her in that place at the right time where she was able to come in and help save her, you know, her people, the Jewish people. Um, so I just, I think that's kind of a beautiful story about, you know, stepping out and having having courage.
0: Yeah, so how do you put yourself in those shoes there in your life today?
1: I think that God challenges us and gives us the call every day to spread the good news of the gospel, you know? And I think just having the courage to get out and and speak from the heart, you know, and even though you're worried about what people are going to think, when you feel prompted by God, just having the courage, knowing that. Hey, we're talking about when we like, this life is a matrix. This is great. I want everyone to be happy here. But at the end of the day, I want to see everyone in heaven. (laughs) You know, Mm -hmm. this is like a matter of life and death We're on the battlefield. So I feel like, you know, having the courage, sometimes I don't want to do it, but I feel like we're not the one that converts either. And that's what I had to learn. I'm the seed planter. Mm -hmm. I might mention it to someone and maybe five years later, someone else helps them come to the Lord. Is my job to share my story, mm-hmm. you know, of, of recovery and of how Jesus really, like, a, I say, AA got me sober and Jesus healed me. <laughs>
0: mm-hmm. Yeah. So let me ask a couple of kind of wrap up questions. And this is a question that I typically ask my sponsees a couple of times through the process of working through the steps. And I asked this of the person that I spoke with yesterday about step two. Uh, def- define for me these four terms: abstinence, sobriety, recovery, healing.
1: Okay, abstinence—um—not using any alcohol or drugs, which are like illegal drugs, I would say. So that's abstinence: no alcohol or illegal drugs. Sobriety—sobriety um, sobriety just means clean and sober. Sobriety to me means being in, like, um, living a lifestyle of not using alcohol and drugs.
0: Okay. And then the third word is um, recovery.
1: Recovery to me is that you had been out drinking and using, and now that you are no longer in, you're off the cycle of addiction. So I feel like the cycle of addiction is where, like, you use... And then um, you have regret, you know, you say you're never going to do it again. And then, you know, you use, you know, you start thinking about it and then you do it and then you're just a continual uh, cycle. So recovery is you're off that, but you're doing certain things to make sure you're staying off that. So you have a program that you're working in, something you do to maintain your your sobriety.
0: All right. Then the fourth word is healing.
1: Jesus Christ. (laughs) All right. Yeah. I mean, I think it's, uh, healing is spirit, soul, and body. So I think it's doing those things that having a personal relationship with God, with Jesus, allowing him to work with you. Um, and then your mind, your soul is your, your mind, will, and emotions. So working on, you know, what you're putting in your mind, how your mind is thinking and, um, you know, working out some emotional things and then your body working out, what kind of foods are you eating? So getting a, working on that, you know,
0: all helps, all helps with your healing. I I feel. Okay. Well, very cool. Now um, let's say that you, and it sounds like you may be going to a place just like this tonight. Um, Let's say that you are approaching somebody who is saying, you know, I'm really struggling and I need help. So how would you um, in that situation approach that person and, and invite them to make some steps toward Abstinence, sobriety, recovery, and healing. Mm-hmm.
1: Well, I would encourage them to go to a meeting, and I would say I would go to one with them probably, mm-hmm. you know, because I know that that works. Um, and it's like I think that's the best thing is to get them to meetings. So, I, you know, if they were in my area, I would go with them, and actually, I would share my story first, probably. Right? I think that's mm-hmm. what we're supposed to do, or the big book is. Just show our own personal story about how we, how our life was before, you know, um, drinking and waking up next to someone, I don't know their name, you know, all these different things and how I struggled. And then now where I'm at, like it's a process and there's a formula and encourage them to get to a meeting and just surrender themselves to the program. I went every day for nine months, sometimes multiple times a day. Mm-hmm. And, you know, I say, no one really likes it at first, but then there comes a time where you like love it, right? Yeah. <laughs> And that's like the craziest thing, but it's like,
0: yeah, a phrase that I use sometimes is some of my best friends are people that I have no idea what their last name is.
1: Yeah. Right. I love that. And, and I just talked to someone yesterday because people I, I'm, I like to be open about on social media. So people will message me and say, I resonate with you. If they're out of state or I don't know them, I jump on the phone with them and I just kind of share my story, you know, and I, I'm compassionate, but just kind of encourage them, you know, to get into a a 12-step meeting. Yeah.
0: So how do you encourage somebody who's scared to death to walk through those doors and maybe see someone that they know and be so embarrassed by that or whatever to just go and do that?
1: They have to be so ready that like their life is like they're not, they can't go back kind of sometimes they have to be in a point of turmoil, you know, where there's like no other option or that whole rock bottom you know, thing where huh? I say, yeah, do you want to, what do you want to happen? Do you want to get in a drunk driving accident? Do you want to get a DUI? Like, what's it going to take for you to change your life? Cause I'm telling you like, this is the way to do it. There's, you know, I don't know how many is there over a million people now or millions or I don't know what, what it is. In AA. Lots and lots, <laughs> but it works. Yeah. I sometimes kind of say that, like, what is it going to take? for you to do it. Like, cause it's not going to get me better. You know, are you, have you suffered long enough? Or if you want to suffer a little bit more, that's fine. When you're ready, come talk to me.
2: Mm.
1: Cause then it kind of gets on their mind. Like, okay, like they're in this horrible cycle. They're not happy. And that's where I was like, if I could still drink and do drugs every day and be happy, I would have never quit. Like, <laughs> but it got to the point where it didn't work anymore. It wasn't making me, it wasn't fun anymore. Right. <laughs> Luckily I didn't go to jail. Some people end up dead you know yeah
0: addiction will lead to death every single time if 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 we aren't able to figure out how to um, get help
1: Mm -hmm. and I guess just for people sometimes it's like you don't have to be unsuccessful you don't have to be in the worst place if you're struggling and thinking about using all the time or It obsessed my mind. It was just like always thinking about when I was going to drink or use drugs next. Like, that's not normal. Right. Like, I thought that was normal. I didn't think I actually had a problem. Mm -hmm. (laughs) But it's not, and it's not a way to live. And now I'm free, and it took a few years to work on, and I'm still healing. I have a long way to go. But I'll tell you, I have more peace and joy in my life. The peace is so much valuable than the, the highs and the lows. Sometimes it's a little boring, yes, but it is so much more fulfilling than mm. that chaos.
0: <laughs> I love that the peace that surpasseth all understanding, right? Yes, I appreciate that, and I love that. So, are there any other words of wisdom or anything else that you really feel is necessary or appropriate to share before we close up this conversation about step five or recovery as a whole?
1: Um, yeah, I just want to say that if you're listening and that you're struggling. Have the courage to walk in those doors, have the courage to reach out to someone for help um, because it's not easy but it's simple and you can do it. We've both done it, and uh, you know life gets better. I mean if you have someone that you know that's struggling, maybe send them some of these podcasts. I may resonate with one person someone the next guest might re- you know resonate with someone else so I think that's why it's important that we put ourselves out there and share our story. So I appreciate you letting me have the opportunity to do that.
0: Yeah, you're very welcome. And thank you for for being willing to open up and share those things. I mean, it'll mean a lot to a lot of people. Thank you. So there you have it. Step five with Jennifer. Thank you very much once again, Jennifer. And step five once again reads, admitted to God, to ourselves, and to another human being, the exact nature of our wrongs. So as you've listened today or to any of the other episodes of the Journey in Recovery series of the Journey Through Life podcast, and you felt something in your heart or mind that is motivating you to act, act on it. Whether that be to share this episode or this entire series with a loved one or to start taking some steps yourself to step into a room of recovery somewhere, act on it. I can promise you that you have nothing to lose and everything to gain. Now, for the housekeep being part of this program, please go check us out on Facebook and Instagram at at JTL Podcast. Like and follow us. I've recently started reposting old and original episodes from the old Know and Do podcast, which became the Journey Through Life podcast, on our Facebook page and in our blog at www.jtlpod.com. To learn of the origins of this project and podcast, I would be honored if you went and checked out those ones, too. You can also drop us a note about your own experiences, strength, and hope at the JTL podcast at gmail.com. Please visit our sponsors, who I purposely did not put at the beginning of this episode or any other for this 12-week series, but they really are helping this podcast continue forward. They are alifeuntold.com, shepherdbrackets.com, and radfordpineshomedecor.com. Use promo code Justin with a life untold to save 10% on your order and JTL pod five at shepherd brackets and Radford pines to save 5% on your orders there. These conversations that I have recorded in this journey in recovery series have been life changing for me as I have been applying many new concepts into my own daily life from the lessons I am learning and I am definitely becoming a different and better person for it. Have a great week and press forward one day at a time.